All right, so um, I got the idea to do a podcast about 10 minutes ago. Um, I know a lot of people have been saying it on my TikTok account. And I was like, ah, I don't have time. And it's true, I really don't. But I was like, you know what? I can just talk on my phone while I do the dishes. Um, and that's literally what this is. I'm not, I don't have a recording studio. It's just me in my kitchen right now. I'm literally changing out my cat's food tray. And then I'm going to be doing the dishes. There might be some, uh, you know, some water splashing and stuff. So, which I think is consistent with my TikTok account because on there, I think people really value just authenticity and honesty. And so that's what you got. It's just me the ICU doctor from TikTok just talking. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I'll upload this. We'll see how it goes. Um, but maybe I'll just kind of talk when I'm, at random times throughout the day, and that'll be the podcast. And I'll just kind of expound on things from my TikTok account, from medical stuff that's going on. If you've been following me, you know that I talk about social stuff. I can get a little political. I know that could be annoying for some people, but I feel like I need to do that. So we'll see how it goes. See if people like it. See if I upload this. Um, yeah, so I'll probably, and maybe I can also answer questions on the TikTok account that I can't get to because lots of people ask questions that I do not have time to answer with the videos. So I can kind of scroll through those and uh, answer some of those questions. We can do whatever. Um, this is for you, this podcast. If you're listening to this, this is for you. It's not for me. I don't commercialize anything. I'm not making money off of the TikTok account. Um, I've had advertisers wanting to sell ridiculous things and I've said no. Um, and I, you know, plan the same with, with podcast. Oh, to be, you know, to be frank, I did monetize the TikTok account. Like if I get paid through TikTok, um, which is like a few hundred dollars and I'm just, I haven't done it yet. It's just sitting, but I will donate that to charity. So I don't make money off of this. And I don't plan to because my goal is authenticity. Okay, so I just played that back, and I, the sound quality was pretty terrible. I switched to headphone, different headphones, and I think it's better, so I'll, I'll keep going. All right, so stuff that has kind of been we've been talking about on the TikTok lately, just to clarify things. So one one thing that I kind of have an issue with, not an issue with, but is I find very difficult is communicating to a broad audience really complex and nuanced topics. Um, for example, the, the latest is Dr. Husel who was acquitted for murder. He was an ICU doctor. And so, yeah, I'm washing dishes. So we'll see, you know, I don't blame people if they're going to hop off from the sound quality, but hey, this is what, this is, this is all I can do. Anyway, so I made a couple of videos about Dr. Husel. This guy, was, he's an ICU doctor. He gave outrageous amounts of sedating medications to patients that were dying in the ICU. And, um, they, and he's tried for murder for killing these patients. And I've done a couple of videos about this, and there's wide just misunderstanding about the case, about even what I say. I mean, some of the comments in those videos are like, how did you get that from what I said? So it's really hard to communicate things that are complex in, in, in short videos. I think, whoops, sorry about that. Wash the pan. My uh, wife and baby are sleeping right now. And I'm just out here doing the dishes. So, just to reiterate about Dr. Husel, that guy gave insane amounts of narcotics, fentanyl, midaz. He gave like up to 2,000 mics of fentanyl and 10 of Versed, midazolam, and 10 milligrams of IV hydromorphone to patients at a time. 
So that's insane. And that's very clear that that's ridiculous dosing. And he probably shouldn't have a license because of that, in my opinion. Now, did he commit murder? No, in my opinion, he did not. You can't prove he, he committed murder. And one, things I, one of the things I've talked about is in critical care, when you're helping someone die, you give medications that may accelerate the pace at which they die. It doesn't, the medications don't kill them, but, but it can accelerate their underlying disease. So it's, re it's a really difficult thing to prove. Right from the get-go when I saw this case, I was like, the prosecution has a really tall order. So anyway, my whole point is, it's good he was acquitted. You cannot prove he committed murder. Um, but he gave outrageous doses of medications, and a lot of nurses got their, their licenses suspended because of it, and so that needs to be rectified as well. And he, it's possible he did commit murder, and it's possible he committed manslaughter. But you just, the, the, way, the way it was done, you can't prove these things. It would have been bad for patients. It would have been bad for physicians, providers, and nurses if he was found guilty. And then what does this have to do with Rodondavat? So, you know, my opinions about Rodondavat are, so if you're not familiar, Rodondavat was found guilty of negligent homicide because she accidentally, inadvertently administered a paralytic vecuronium to a patient rather than Versed, which is also called midazolam, and that killed the patient. So that, that, in my opinion, she shouldn't have been even tried to begin with, and that's why I don't agree with the verdict. Here's the reason. This is the exact reason. Okay. She, if you're going to give someone a benzo, like Versed, and, and put them in a scanner, which is what happened with that patient, they should be monitored. They should have vitals taken. They should be on continuous pulse ox oximetry. Um, and that patient wasn't. If that patient was on continuous pulse oximetry, they, it would have been detected that they had given a paralytic because the patient would have desatted, would have become hypoxic, oxygen would have been low, and it would have been detected they would have pulled the patient out, given the patient oxygen or whatever they needed, and the patient wouldn't have died. So the reason that patient died, yeah, um, Redonda pushed the wrong medication in a really egregious error, like outrageous. It's unbelievable she did that. Um, and should she keep her license? Probably not. Um, but I'll leave that for another discussion. But it's the hospital's responsibility. It was a system's problem. So the fact that she was criminalized to begin with is wrong. And that is why I do not agree. Now, I'm seeing a lot of comments. People are like, oh, I can't believe Dr. Husel was acquitted. What about Redonda Vought? The truth of it is, these cases have absolutely nothing to do with each other. Um, well, they, maybe they do in the, fa in, the, in the sense that doctors are more, you know, in our society are more esteemed. Oops, sorry. They're more respected. They get off of things easier. And that is true. I'm not going not gonna to lie about that. So I think that is relevant. But other, other than that, the, 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 they don't have a lot in common after that. Um, anyway, I think Verdana should not have been tried, but for completely different reasons than Dr. Husel's. These are different things. And this, just to get to my point, I made a video about this, is we need to avoid what I, what I call ipso facto mentality. Which is, ipso, ipso facto means, okay, you hear a fact, and that means by default this other thing must be true because you heard this one thing, ipso facto. So the reason it's a pitfall about ipso facto is, oh, okay, so Dr. Husel, oh, you heard he gave, he, you heard he gave a thousand mics to a, a fentanyl to a patient, and that patient died. Ipso facto, that he killed the patient. No, you cannot make those assumptions. You must understand context. You must understand the tolerance of that patient. 
um, the conditions of why it was given um, at that time. You have to understand these things. You cannot just have these judgment calls. It's this is not how it works. It's not how we do things. Um, so, really need to avoid that that knee jerk reaction when we hear things like this. And I think the main point is, we, if we go down this road of criminalizing healthcare professionals, this is a dangerous road. This is a dangerous road that we go down. Why? Well, medicine is science, but it's also a practice, and it's a bit of an art form, and it's also run by human beings. Human beings make error. It's a system full of errors. There are protocols, there are system checks in place, but it's still full of errors. And if we start criminalizing those errors, we're going to create a culture of fear, fear of prosecution, and that a fear, a culture like that, oh, I guarantee you everything, so many things will go downhill. Outcomes will be worse, transparency will be worse, so many things will be worse. Um, so I, this trend is a little unsettling that we're seeing. All right, just switching gears a little bit, let's just talk about my job. Um, so I talk, people are interested in what my job is like and what I do. So I am a double-boarded physician in uh, anesthesiology and critical care. So I do both. So I did, a, I did so just backing up my education, I did four years of undergraduate in chemistry, four years of medical school, four years of anesthesia residency. I did a one-year critical care fellowship, and then I'm, and, and now I work as doing both critical care and anesthesiology. I did, I did undergrad, medical school, residency, and fellowship all at different hospitals. So I got a ton of exposure to how different hospitals work. And I work at a different hospital than I got trained at. So, and I'm at a major, I work at a major academic hospital, uh, American hospital. So what my schedule is like, typically I do, um, what do I do? I do, I do, um, sorry, doing the dishes still. <laughs> I do like usually two weeks in the OR straight with the weekends off. I don't take call in the OR like my other peer anesthesia colleagues. And then I go into the ICU and I usually do seven days straight, 12 hour shift, seven days, which I don't really have a life. I'm very distant from my family. I see my baby girl maybe an hour before I go to bed. Sometimes I don't see her at all. Um, and, and I work in a cardiac ICU where I, I deal with ECMO and other mechanical circulatory devices, cardiac surgery, a lot of stuff like that. And that's why I have a lot of experience dealing with the, basically some of the sickest COVID patients in the world um, because I take the ones that are we put on ECMO and I take care of them. So all through the pandemic, I've taken care of these ECMO patients and they're extremely sick human beings. And I can you know commit full hours of this podcast just talking about ECMO. Oh, sorry. So, I uh, at the institution I'm at, we are the, in, the intensivists like me. We put the patients on ECMO. We with our hands, we put them on ECMO. We put these huge catheters, and usually they're groin and their neck. And ECMO is a uh, it's basically a heart lung bypass machine. You put them on it, you drain their blood continuously, and then you oxygenate it and you pump it back in. Depending on where you put the catheters. That depends if you're doing a heart bypass and or a lung bypass as well. Um, so I have a lot of experience doing that. I also spend time in a medical surgical ICU where I take care of a lot of medical patients, um, liver patients, um, overdose patients, patients that have liver transplants, kidney transplants, pancreatic plant transplants, lots of stuff like that. Um, and then I also do some tele-ICU, which if you're not familiar with that, that's remote ICU. I sit in front of a monitor of eight, eight monitors 
and I help monitor ICU patients remotely in the area, different states, sometimes hundreds at a time. Obviously, I'm not like directly involved in their care all the time. That would be unsafe. But I help put out fires. I can direct care. I can see the patient. I can see their rectal record. I can see their vitals and their chart. I talk to the nurse. I talk to the family. I can talk to the patients from the camera. So it's an interesting part of my practice. So I split my time up doing that. It is a very versatile practice. Uh, and honestly, I love it. It's exhausting. And I am early in my career. Um, I don't want to say how old I am, but I mean, I'm not like young, young, but I'm not old. Um, and I'm early in my career. So, and I hope to do it forever for my whole career. Critical care thing is a lot of people get burned out. Um, and I want to avoid that. It's, it can be hard to have a work-life balance when you have the job that I have. So I have a unique insight into a lot of different areas of medicine, particularly COVID and ECMO. Um, and anesthesia and ICU. So I, and, and I, I've resuscitated so many patients. I don't even know. I can't even count anymore. Anyway, so that's kind of, that's, that's my job. All right. So switching gears just a little bit. So on my TikTok channel, which is, I didn't even say what it is. It's at ICU doctor, TikTok, just at ICU doctor. Um, so I do talk about politics kind of, but not really. Like I don't talk about politicians. I literally, I don't, I think, I don't think I've really mentioned a, a word about a politician, um, but I like to talk about social policy and the politics that influence that. And I like to talk about economics and, and capitalism and socialism and what these things are. Now I'm not, am I qualified to talk about these things? I guess not because I haven't, I don't have any formal education in these things. I do read a lot about these topics and I mean a lot. I've probably read, not that it qualifies me, but I've read, you know, 30, 50 books, something about these topics. So it's not like I'm making this stuff up and they're not just like, you know, coming out of my head. They're, they're, my opinions about these things are influenced by experts and lots of different people that I don't agree with. Anyway, so I think my main, my whole main thing is when I get on there and talk about universal healthcare and whatever it is, one of my main gripes is ideology. Ideology is bad. That That's, I guess my ideology is trying to be non, it's to be ideologically non-binary ideology is what is killing us it's what's destroying like medicine uh, not medicine well it's destroying medicine but our political system the united states is no longer has normal parliamentary politics we basically have one party that's an extreme insurgency and then another party that's just completely pro-corporate neither of these parties represent people or have the interests of the people at heart and the party on the left just uses the politics of inclusion and tokenism to try to, to, try to gain control and try to mean author, uh, cultural authoritarianism. Those are big topics we can talk about later. But here's, okay, here's what it boils down to for me. I think the thing that can unite people in the United States and in other countries that are seeing kind of neo-fascist movements is, is, uh, sorry, is being anti-monopolistic. I, I, re I really believe that can unite people um, because everything's monopolized. Job markets, um, consumer markets, everything is financialized. The multinational um, you know, corporations really run the world and just do whatever they want. Globalization is bad, in my opinion. That's one thing I, I, I agree with of former President Trump is um, globalization is bad for average Americans. And, uh, you know, like NAFTA was, is bad. Um, I think it was like one of the few things I actually agreed with him on. Anyway, so ideology is is bad, and we should abandon ideology, and we should be pragmatic. These are, this is just my opinion, okay? 
we should be pragmatic. We should look at where we're at and go from there. And Okay, what are the problems we're having? How do we fix them? Let's do that. And that's what you do for human beings, right? If you have a problem, if, if, there's, a, if, you, if there's someone in your life who's having an issue with something, whatever it is, you don't break them all down. You don't completely wipe the system, wipe their hard drive, and you know, install a new personality. When we do that culturally and politically, that's how wars happen. That's how genocide happens. Um, so you, you go where we're at, where we're at, and you go up and try to go up from there. And my whole thing is just being kind, not trying to uh, stigmatize people, not trying to call out people. I do think cancel culture is a very real thing, and it's a very, it's a huge, it's a big problem in our society on both sides. Yeah, it's a conservative boogeyman, but it's a huge problem, huge problem. Um, and then so is troll culture, which is just clouding the air with nonsense and just paralyzing us with, with a. Uh, you know, indecision and not knowing what's going on. That, that's what troll culture does. So we, we have these two, these two opposing forces that cancel culture and troll culture, one on that are on either side, and they're destroying us and they're destroying parliamentary politics. Our political system is completely broken. It's calcified. It doesn't work. It's all a corporate self-interest. And being anti-monopolistic, I think, is the way to do it. And we can talk about taxes. And I have lots of opinion about taxes. Basically, we should tax capital and not labor. Um, the one thing that the, that the people that run things, that run our society, which are business leaders um, that you know have collusion with our government, they want the labor force to be divided. That is their goal. That is exactly what they want. And they have achieved it. Um, they want us to be divided among class, cl class lines and racial lines. Absolutely. That is what, that is their goal. And they have achieved it, uh, like re beautifully, like remarkably well. Um, so if the labor class is divided, there will not be, how, how do we have social change? How do we achieve it? It never comes from the top. It always comes from the bottom, from, from people. That's how social, social change happens. When you have a united, um, you know, class, labor class, that's where change happens. So if that class is divided, you will not get change. And the people at the top of our society, they do not want change. So they have beautifully achieved their goals. So if every time, you know, you post something inflammatory about someone on the other side of your political spectrum and how stupid they are, whatever, whatever, you are fanning these flames. You're, you're actually, you're, you are, it's counter, it's completely counterproductive. And that is one thing about my content I really, really try to avoid. It's totally counterproductive. Uh, we need to be united against the rich elite because they're killing us they're killing us these monopolized markets are killing us and you know to really kind of sum up what i i think one of the issues that we we have in american culture and not just american but everywhere is is neoliberalism so and if you're not familiar with neoliberalism with what the term is you, there's many books i could recommend and i can do another podcast talking about lots of books because i read lots of books and listen to lots of books but neoliberalism is the basic it's extreme unfettered free market mentality that the free market you know contains all the solutions and it's basically you privatize everything you destroy unions you um cut taxes for the wealthy because because they think you know they endorse trickle-down economics and it's just you know austerity across the board and privatize everything across the board and that neoliberalism liberalism has been the wor world order since margaret thatcher and ronald reagan and it is the source in my opinion of all the wealth concentration and the inequality that we are seeing 
everywhere. So if I had to boil down my, you know, kind of economic or like political beliefs is I am anti-monopolistic and I'm anti-neoliberal. Some things that kind of also are responsible, in my opinion, I, I guess obviously this, this is all my opinion, I don't need to say that. Um, three things that are highly responsible for a lot of our issues right now are repealing the Glass-Steagall Act in the 90s under Clinton. Um, the Glass-Steagall Act se separated basically commerce banking and investment banking. So basically, before the Glass-Steagall Act, your bank, if you gave your bank money to deposit, they weren't able to take those deposits and use them to speculate on a market. But that's what the Glass-Steagall Act prevented. But under the Clinton administration, they got rid of it. And since then, banks can do whatever they want with your money that you deposit, and they can, they can basically gamble with it. Okay, so that's a huge problem. Probably one of the reasons that led to the 2007 Great Recession. And then you have Citizens United, which I think, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was in 2010, where basically the Supreme Court decided that companies are people. They have the same free speech as people. And it basically is what started super PACs and what we call dark money, where just money from anywhere can come and it can, it can alongside a campaign, it can endorse a candidate. Oh, and if, but yeah, campaign finance law, they can't communicate. That's fine. They can step around that. It basically makes it so, you know, candidates are bought. I mean, that's all there is to it. And then the third thing I think is a huge problem is 2013, ah, maybe it was 2011, I forget, Shelby versus Holder ruling, which basically got rid of federal clearance, overclearance over state voting. This, what this means, blowing this down, before that ruling, states could not make um, changes to their state voting laws without federal clearance, being like, okay, you know, reviewing it and being like, okay, these laws, good, they, it looks like they won't be discriminatory in any way. After that ruling, now states can do whatever they want. That's why you're seeing the proliferation of like voter ID laws and a lot of stuff like that. Those three things, there's a lot more than that to talk about. Those three things really account for the particular illiberal, and I don't think it's out of bounds to call it a neo-fascist state that we are currently living in. Okay, I think I'll just finish out this podcast talking about some of my favorite economic books that I've read that really influenced like my opinion about this and in no particular order um re and these are kind of recent reads the precipice by with interviews of noam chomsky i would if you haven't read chomsky um and you think you know him you don't know him you need to read him um i would suggest that i would suggest griftopia by um matt tybee t-a-i-b-b-i -B -B -I. and the end of the myth by greg grandin bad samaritans by chang c-h-a-n-g he's a Seth Green, economist, he's brilliant. The Tyranny of Merit by Michael Sandel. Um, Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. The Price of Inequality by Joseph Stiglitz. The Divide by Jason Hickel. I would read Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. I would also read Bullshit Jobs by David Graeber as well. Donut Economics by Kate Raworth. Um, there's just, uh, I would read um, The Deficit Myth by, what's her name, Stephanie... Kelton, um, that's an amazing book. I would read anything by by Yanis Varoufakis. I would start with talking to my daughter about the economy. You could read How to Hide an Empire by Daniel Emmerwar, The Great Reversal by Philippin. Oh, this is the one of the best books to read is The Triumph of Injustice by The Economist Says. And then I would also read um, Break Them Up by Zephyr Teachout. That's about monopolization. Anyway, I can go on and on. There's a lot of books. Um, 
And all of those are really good audiobooks too. So that kind of forms the, the basis of my economic and political opinions. A lot of those books, many more too. It's not just those. Anyway, so I think that's that'll be the first episode. Um, and uh, you know, I can, I can we can I can make this whatever anybody wants if people are actually listening to this. Um, you know, let me know in either on my TikTok uh, TikTok account if you follow me. Or uh, my uh, the email that I have on that account, and for this podcast is ICU Doctor ECMO at Gmail. Um, ICU Doctor ECMO E C M O, ICU Doctor ECMO at gmail.com. So let me know. Uh, I could talk about whatever, but I think this will just kind of be what this is. It's mostly me just rambling to myself, um, which I don't know if anybody really wants to listen to, but I'll do it if people want to. So let me know. Give me some feedback, and yeah, I can make this whatever we need to be. And maybe I can work on getting the sound quality better as well if it's something that's that you know we're actually going to pursue. So anyway, thanks for listening. Share it with people if you think they would like to listen to, and, and, and we'll keep doing it. Thanks.